Welcome to episode 19 of the AFL Europe podcast, where we are joined by John Enright as part of our One Kick Later series. If you've played across any of the AFL Europe competitions over the last 15 years, you're more than likely to know or recognise John. A former player and now umpire, John's love and devotion to Australian football has seen him represent his national team, the Irish Warriors, on numerous occasions, as well as officiate footy matches across the world, including in the cities of Bordeaux, London and San Diego. These are the important things that you'll remember after you stop playing football. You'll remember the glory days of winning or losing, but it's the friends that you make along the way that you'll go to the pub and talk about those games. Do you remember this game? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember who kicked that goal? Travelling to these international Australian football tournaments, John has played and umpired alongside some incredible people and has developed a wealth of experience and knowledge about the sport that he shares on this podcast. In addition, John is an amazing storyteller and this episode will no doubt give you a great insight into what it means for some people to play, coach, umpire or volunteer at some of the Australian football events and matches that are held across the world, as well as the special people you get to meet along the way. John, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the AFL Europe podcast and as part of our One Kick Later series. Thank you for joining me. No problem, Jackson. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How about yourself? Yeah, all good. All good. Summer is coming here in Ireland, so... Hopefully we'll get back to playing a bit of football and a bit of Aussie rules in the next couple of months. That's all right. Well, I'm looking forward to this next 30 minutes. Um, former national player for Ireland, a few national premierships, experience at events such as AFL Europe's European Championships, Euro Cup, the AFL's International Cup, and many more, plus roles as a captain, president, and more recently an umpire. We've got a lot to uncover in this podcast. Um, are you ready for it? Yeah, let's go. Great. Well, I've got a few introductory questions just to get us started. Question number one, what was the sport or some of the sports you played growing up? Uh, yeah, I'm from Ireland, so Gaelic football was my first and only sport as a child growing up. So it's a relig- religion where I grew up. Um, so since I was eight, seven, eight, nine, been playing Gaelic football, played it all the way up until I think I stopped playing when I was 35, 36. Um, right. And that's the one and only sport really until uh, much later on in life when I discovered Australian rules football and then maybe a little bit of rugby after that as well. So yeah, there would be my sports growing up. Perfect. Into the next question. When was your first experience playing Australian footy? Uh, that would be in 2002. I was living in Toronto in Canada for a year after finishing college. And I started playing with the Toronto Dingoes. Um, saw them recruiting a recruitment poster for them in a bar and this was i think april in in canada there was still snow on the ground and the Gaelic football season didn't look like starting anytime soon but the dingoes were recruiting so i got in contact with them and went down and said i'd have a go at this sport that i had seen on tv back home and um had a go at it really really enjoyed it and so much so that i stopped playing Gaelic football in canada because i figured listen when i'm back home in ireland for the rest of my life i can play Gaelic football but once I'm here in Canada, I can just totally embrace this new sport um, and really enjoy this sport. And it's been a big part of my life since. Right. Uh, on to the next one. Um, and this one might be a tough one to narrow down, but along your footy journey, where's it been your favorite destination or venue you've played at? Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one. There's been some highlights. Obviously, we played at the MCG um, in the 2001 International Cup final. Played in the Key Oval in London a couple of times there. We've played... Um, Euro Cups, ref, umpired Euro Cups all over Europe and Bordeaux, Umag, Amsterdam. Um, but I think the favourite, my favourite one that I always remember is the Oval in, Mal- in Malmo, where we won the 2010 European Championships. Just It was one of our first times winning uh, a major international trophy. It's just one that, that sticks out 
Yeah, awesome. And finally, um, from a player's or umpire's point of view, what's the best thing about Australian football in Ireland? Um, has to be the people, uh, the friends you make, lifelong friends, all have the same similar men- mentality to, to play this minority sport and do it to the best of their ability. Um, and also playing in Ireland, we, we are nine times out of 10 playing at the sharp end of international competitions. So to have the ability to actually represent your country and be successful at representing your country and go to tournaments with a genuine expectation and hope that you could actually win these international competitions. That's by far one of the, the, the highlights of playing Aussie rules in this country. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, uh, let's get stuck into it. Footy in Canada. You told us how you got into the sport, um, but how'd you go? What was your first year like over there? And some of the, some of the experiences you had playing uh, footy for Toronto. Yeah. As I, as I mentioned, it was, I was in a pub one day. I saw that the poster recruiting for players. So I just said, Hey, I'll have a go at this. Um, as I mentioned, Gaelic football was on hiatus and there wasn't, didn't seem to be any chance that they were going to start playing anytime soon. And I was just mad for road, wanted to get out and get running and get a bit of contact, get a, play some kind of sport. Um, unfortunately I couldn't skate. So ice hockey was definitely ruled out, even though it's like a religion in Canada. Um, so yeah, I went down to the first session. I met uh, Coach uh, Brosley, uh, an Aussie guy, who was coaching. He was setting up cones when I rocked up. There was nobody else around at the time, so I just went over, asked him, "Is this where the Aussie Rules training was going to be on?" He said, "Yeah, it is." Yeah, and he was. I was chatting to him, and I was saying, "This, and I'm from Ireland. Um, never played the sport, but I've seen it on TV." Um, so he gave me this round or this oval football and asked me to to handball at him. Um, and looking back, I was—I know he was testing me to see did I have any skills because I—I know when we get rookies down playing with us, trying to teach somebody how to handball a ball is actually a really difficult skill for somebody that's never done it before. But uh, Brazzy just gave me the ball, told me to handball it him, handball it back to him, no problem. Uh, he gave me the ball again, said, "Can you kick?" Um, and I said, I, "I remember asking him where do you want me to put this ball," and he, he pointed somewhere in the distance and I kicked it. Like obviously my technique. From the first night there was completely backwards and I was kicking it probably sideways rather than a drop punt, but still able to kick the ball and it relative accuracy. But um, yeah, so from then, guys showed up. We started training, started to come down twice a week, training with the guys, um, building up skills, getting used to it um, and just really, really enjoying the outlet and really enjoying the sport. Getting to, new, getting to meet new people, obviously, as well, new Canadian people, new Australian people that I obviously wouldn't run into in my day-to-day life over there. Um, and, yeah, I enjoyed the sport. There was trained with them for a few weeks, and we went to a pre-season competition, uh, which was the first eye-opener in, the, in Canada. They had, at that time, anyway, they had limited access to ovals, so all their tournaments had to be played really early in the morning. So like games were kicking off at 8 a.m., which means we were getting up at 6.30 and arriving at the pitch at maybe 7.30, getting some warm-ups and playing first ball up at 8 a.m. in the morning. And I think that was because they had the pitches, say, booked from 8 a.m. to 12, and then cricket guys just come on and book the pitches for the rest of the day. Right. Um, so you get up early, play these games, play our Aussie Rules games. Uh, so I was handed a jersey, and of course... First thing that stands out when you get an Aussie Rules jersey for the first time, it has no sleeves. And I was, it just felt so weird <laughs> putting on a jersey with no sleeves. Um, but yeah, you got used to that. Um, went down the pitch, just 
listen, we grew up all my life playing Gaelic football, being on a pitch in contact sport was nothing new. So it was, a, I guess, those first games, I, was, I still thought, I guess I was playing Gaelic football. So it was taking marks and not taking marks, if you know what I mean, take the mark and run on. And I remember my... <laughs> Yeah, my first goal for the club was again that take the mark, and my mark, my, the fellow that was um, marking me just stopped, when expecting me to take the set shot, and of course I just ran around him <laughs> straight through and kicked the goal, and uh, then just getting mobbed by my teammates has been, you know, I guess, the first time you score a goal, um, all the, the players come up and and um, look after you. Yeah. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, awesome, and you obviously remember it quite fondly. Um... Did you sort of think when you were when you were playing footy over there that it was going to be something that you did once you once you came back to Ireland or what you were going to be doing for the next what, 10, 15 years or so? Yeah, as I said, like I I stopped playing Gaelic football in Canada because I didn't really know there was an Aussie rule scene in Ireland. So I said, listen, I, I'll take it on here. I'll I'll commit to this sport on this side of the world. And when I go home, I can go back to playing Gaelic football. At that point, I didn't know there was any Aussie rules in Ireland. In fact, I remember being at training one night and one of the guys comes up to me, Paul uh, Tinkler, or Tinks as he was known from Geelong, came up to me and just asked me, do you know who the, the World Cup champions are? And at first I asked him, was there's a World Cup or an international cup in Aussie Rules football? And he said, yeah. And he said the, the Irish team had won it the summer before, I think. So I was there 2003, was it? So it was, yeah, they won it the year before. And I was going, wow, Jesus, they're the Irish team. And then you start getting all these thoughts that, you know, must be really big at home. Like there must be big teams and big players at home. So yeah, it was, it was kind of at that point you're going, there might be an opportunity here to to go further. Like, you know, if I do well and I understand the sport and I progress, um, yeah, maybe I can go home and play on the Irish team. So at, I guess at that point, after talking to Tinks, there was that thought that's maybe in the future, yeah, I can go home and play. Well, you had, after a year in Canada, you did head back to Ireland and you got involved, I suppose. What was that initial sort of thought process of getting involved? Did you know anyone that was already playing? Um, um, at that point, no, I didn't know anybody. So I, I went home, um, just got settled back into being at home, I suppose, for the first couple of months. Um, and then I was living in Limerick City. And it, it, I think it's the only city in Ireland that has never really had an Aussie rules team. To the best of my knowledge, I think there might have been one team for maybe half a season, but it never really took off in that city for whatever reason and still hasn't taken off in that city. Um, so I used to travel from there down to Cork to play with the Side Lions for my first season. So it was like two and a half hours, three hours on a bus on public transport to go down and um, get to training and get to, I, I obviously didn't make too many trainings because I wasn't traveling a six hour round trip for training. Um, but uh, yeah, go down for, go down Saturdays for matches. Um, play games and back up to Dublin uh, if there are games in Dublin and try and get a lift from somebody if they happen to be coming anywhere close to me to, to go to these matches. Uh, yeah, so my first season, I only played with them for, for one season. And when that's, when they are, I got a job in Dublin. So then I moved to Dublin and joined the Dublin Demons. And I played with the Dublin Demons for, I think, nine eight or nine years or something like that 10 years yep. maybe we we soared and we peaked and then we kind of fizzled out and died um we uh won premierships in 2008 and 2009 with the the demons i became i was captain for the 2009 season um and that was the highlight of our times with with the demons 
I suppose, yeah, you did become quite heavily involved in it um, in the sport when you got back into Ireland. I mean, in your first year in Dublin, you also headed to the International Cup, um, and that, which was your first time heading to Australia as well, which we will talk about soon. But I suppose from like your memory or perspective, um, how was Australian football viewed in Ireland <clears throat> at the time? Like, I suppose you had Jim, Jim Steins won the Brownlow in the 90s. Um, or in 2005, Canelli became the first Irishman to win an AFL Premiership. And then, like you said, the national team won the International Cup in 2002. So there must have been a bit of momentum about the sport in the country. So just from your sort of memory, how was the sport viewed in Ireland at the time? Yeah, there, there was, like, there was, there are, has been players going to to Australia to play. So as you say, there was Jim Steins, who, while he was a legend in Australia, I'm not sure he was as well known in Ireland for his achievements in um in Australia, I think subsequently he has been recognised for what he did, especially among the Aussie Rules community, obviously the European Aussie Rules community and the Irish Aussie Rules community. Um, but yeah, Aussie Rules used to be shown on terrestrial TV here, so free-to-air TV it used to be a highlights package, used to be shown um, every Saturday or Sunday. I do remember watching it a few times and just being fascinated by the sport. But again, it was just something you watch. You weren't really paying that much attention to it. Like, you know, it came on, you watched it. Um, I suppose for me, uh, Tyg Kennedy being drafted to the Swans was probably uh, more closer to home because he was literally close to my home. Uh, he grew up and um, he grew up maybe 20 minutes from my house, 15 minutes, 20 minutes from my house. And playing Gaelic football, I didn't actually play against Tyg, but I used to play against his, his older brother, which was a year or two older than Tyg. Um, so I knew of him and I knew he was going there to Australia. So... I suppose that started bringing more into consciousness. And then, of course, there's obviously the International Rules Series, which gets highlighted. And around that time, I think it was being played a bit more, like 1999, I think it restarted up again. And they were playing more of the sport, definitely did increase that awareness of the sport. I just wanted to jump back into the other events as well that you sort of played in in, in that sort of time span with Dublin. Um, I, like I said, uh, or like we said, I see 2005. What were some of the other events um, that you've attended over those couple of years? Playing with the D- Dublin Demons, I think the highlight of our year used to always be traveling to Edinburgh and or Glasgow or Scotland for the Haggis Cup. Um, it used to be a, a yearly trip that the club used to make every March, April. I think the competition used to run. Uh, it's basically, let's call it a team bonding session. <laughs> Not necessarily just a, a booze cruise and a, a trip away. Uh, but like we used to travel out every for that tournament every time. You just go out on a Friday night, um, <laughs> go for a few drinks on a yeah. Friday night, maybe Friday night, Saturday morning, maybe get back to our hostel at two or three in the morning and then get up, at, <laughs> try and get up anyway at half eight, nine o'clock to make it out to the tournament, out to the, the venue for the, the tournament. Uh, somehow we managed to win it twice. We won it in 2006, but uh, 2010, the tournament had gotten much bigger and that was a far greater achievement for us to win that tournament we had some some great players traveling us for for that tournament and to come in a, a final that only last 20 minutes we were two or three goals down in the final we somehow managed to to come back and win that final that they're one of the tournaments that from the demon side were were most memorable and most enjoyable yeah um after that as you say yeah we were doing playing with the international team as well so we went to the international cup in 2005 it was my first time being to australia and seeing aussie rules in real life going to the mcg watching games marvel stadium 
I think it's called these days, it was Telstra Stadium when we were there. Yeah. <laughs> um, really enjoyed being in Australia. Um, and I think those that 2005 trip, we were based in Melbourne, but we also went out to, I think it was Wangaratta in, in, in Country Victoria back then. And that was actually far more enjoyable from a player perspective than actually being in Melbourne. In Melbourne, we are a small, very small tournament in a city that's mad for Aussie rules in the middle of the AFL season. But we went out to Wangaratta. We were the biggest thing that happened there in years, having an international tournament with all these players from all over the world coming into their town. Um, and they just loved us. They loved you. You walk down the street and people would stop you and have a chat with you and ask you, what team are you playing for? And when are you going to play again? Um, and when's your next match and who are you going to be playing against and how are you going? Um, so it was really enjoyable to be in a, in a small country town rather than being swallowed up by Melbourne. And the same thing happened when we were there in 2008, we went to Warnable and everybody on the squad always remembers Warnable very fondly. It was a, an amazing town and loads of fun we had out there. Like uh, when we were there in 2011 for the, that tournament, it was based in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, so we'd never really had that kind of uh, country experience. Um, and while we did win that tournament, it was, you know, that was part of it that we kind of missed from the previous tournaments. It was, in some ways, it was a highlight to be in those little country towns and, and to meet people. But uh, yeah, they're all good tournaments. All Obviously, the highlight being the 2011 tournament where we actually managed to, to win it out. Um, was an amazing experience to be actually stand in the middle of the MCG and just look up at the stadium and the, the towering stands around you and just, you know, feel small in the middle of a, an enormous stadium. We were in the, the Richmond dressing rooms for, for our dressing rooms, obviously. And you could just see all the names of all the players on the lockers around, around the, the dressing room and see just the layout, the inner workings of, uh, <laughs> An AFL dressing room, you get the warm-up areas and the meeting rooms and the dressing rooms themselves, physio rooms, like, you know, massive. These rooms are the size of, like, a small clubhouse in Ireland, you know, and these are uh, just the, just the warm-up rooms. It's just amazing to be to be in there and to see what the inner workings of the pitch are and then to just walk up those steps and go onto the pitch itself and just do a lap around the pitch. Like, I, I didn't play in the final, I was a sub. But just to be involved and just to even do the warm-ups on the pitch was was amazing. No doubt um, when you're in Canada playing footy, this is not what you pictured, uh, how, how your footy career would go coming back to Ireland. Yeah, it's a long way from, from the snow in Canada to the MCG in the sunshine. Yeah, no, that's surreal. And, and that's some great experiences as, as well, no doubt. Um, you must have built some pretty strong relationships with your teammates and coaches at the time too. Um, and I suppose even some of the opposition that you came up against, how much do you cherish those relationships that you built with those teammates at the time? And do you guys still keep in touch or hold sort of any anniversaries for those that um, premiership win? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, obviously like made some lifelong friends and some of my best friends are definitely the guys I've met playing Aussie roads football, not even just from here, from Ireland, from, as you say, teams I've played against. Um, I think you've talked to Yossi there with Croatia. Like some of these guys are absolutely amazing people. And it's these kind. It, these are the important things that you'll remember after you stop playing football. You'll remember the glory days of winning or losing, but it's the friends that you make along the way that you'll go to the pub and talk about those games. Do you remember this game? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember who kicked that goal? Who lost us that game? Who won us that game? These are the ones that are all 
the most important. Um, but th like the highlight for us and the anniversary that we always talk about as a group is that first European Championships in Denmark and Sweden in 2010. Yeah. Um, we've gone, like I've gone to three international cups in, in Australia. And while they're each amazing and incredible experiences on their own, um, we still all gravitate back to that first European Championships. And I, as I was preparing for this call, I was just thinking, why was why was that one so important and so memorable to us? And I think the Irish mentality for international cups was that we have a lot of players in Australia that we can take and we can bring into the squad, but they're not necessarily people that you know that well. You might meet them every once in a while, um, every three or four years, whenever the tournament is on, but for the rest of the time, you don't see them. So for that, that first trip to, to Denmark and Sweden, um, it was players that you grew up with or that you played with in, in Ireland. It was players that you played week in, week out that are on your, your team, that are players that you've played against, that you socialize with. So it was really a, a group that you knew really well. And so, and also at that time, there wasn't a European Championships. There wasn't a Euro Cup, I mean, there wasn't a Champions League. There was very little opportunity for international travel and tournaments, unlike at the moment. So we went to Malmo, it was a week-long tournament away from, from home. You're staying with really good friends that you've grown up with. And again, we won that tournament. It was one, it was the first major tournament I'd won with the group and the first major tournament that the most of the group had actually won an international tournament. So that was special. And yeah, being there and the 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 things that go on on tour, um, probably not safe to be mentioned on this podcast but <laughs> it was some of the stuff that we did that we all remember um and one of the, the most memorable ones was we had our little mascot um called timmy the leprechaun so he's a little teddy bear leprechaun yeah <laughs> and it quickly became um if there was um somebody messed up or they did something silly they got timmy and they got to tell uh, they got a phrase which was the most embarrassing phrase you could remember, like every time you got a new Timmy, you had to come up with this phrase. And if anybody asked you why you got carrying that leprechaun around, you had to recite this phrase word for word to the person that asked you, uh. which was great because um, all the other teams soon realized that whoever has this mascot, you go over and ask him why you hold him Timmy and he has to embarrass himself to, to explain to you why he has. So that was quite fun. Um, I think another highlight of that trip in, in, Denmark and Sweden was just the camaraderie between the teams. Um, again, it was one of the first uh, big European championships that had taken place. We before that, it was the International Cup was the only really big European or big international tournament that teams had played in. So for a lot of the, for a lot of the teams, full stop it was their first international tournament. I remember Finland were at that tournament, Croatia were at that tournament. I think it was their first tournament. Germany were at that tournament. Um, and ourselves and Britain, and I think there was a few more. But I do remember um, coming off the pitch and we started giving um, a guard of honour to the teams coming off the pitch just to, to clap them off the pitch to uh, acknowledge that they'd played at the tournament. And it became a tradition that every game, the two teams that, would, that were playing would form that little corridor and clap each other coming off the pitch, which I haven't seen at any tournament since then. And at the time, we thought it was amazing. It was like, it was just a real affirmation that, you know, we're all in this together, we're all here to have a good time and we all just respect one another and appreciate that you've played a good game and that you've played in this tournament and 
were happy to to be there yeah and of course then we did actually win the tournament as well which is also <laughs> a yeah. bonus for for our memories <laughs> but we we did we did have plans last year to go back to malmo for the 10-year anniversary until the the global pandemic kicked in and it's just been been shelled for the moment but Hopefully in the future we're going to get back there and maybe play a Masters game against Denmark or Sweden or something like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We'll have to live stream that one for sure. <laughs> I don't think it might be the highest quality of football <laughs> at this point in our football careers, but yeah, it should it'd be it'd be fun to go back and play again. Uh, moving into other roles uh, you've held in footy um, in the in the more recent years, and that's the role of an umpire. What made you get into umpiring? Can you remember the first game you, you officiated? I do. I do remember the first game. The first game I officiated was a grand final, the Aussie RAFL Ireland grand final in 2007 between the Side Lions and the South Dublin Swans. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't supposed to be umpiring that game, but <laughs> I went down to, to watch the game. Um, and the game was being held in Doro and County Leash. And Doro and County Leash is kind of in the middle of nowhere. So. Um, it, um, I went down to watch the game, the referee that was supposed to be there, the umpire that was supposed to be there, he didn't show up anyway. So people were asking, listen, who's going to, to umpire? And I said, listen, I'll, I'll have a go. I haven't, I haven't refereed anything at that point, but, um, yeah, I'll have a go to then see how I do. And I, I was given a whistle and I was told to have a go. So I went up to two teams and I said, listen, guys, um, umpire hasn't shown up i'll um i'll have a go at this and see how uh, we go but um obviously i haven't done it before uh so we'll go easy so yeah we we went game started obviously having played it for four or five years at that point i had a fair grasp of the rules and what umpires were looking for um so played away umpired away um and as i said halfway through it, i realized i was actually enjoying being here being in control of the game being involved in the game, being involved in the final, even if I wasn't a player. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the key um, desires or things that people may may not realize about being an umpire. You're you're still, you're part of the game as being an umpire. You're not sitting in the sidelines. You're not um, sitting in the stands watching the players. You can actually be right in the middle of the, the game, right in the middle of the action and following it closer than you could ever could um, yeah. sitting in the stands. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that was my first game and yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but I was still playing at that point. So I wasn't really, you know, considering right. moving strictly into to umpiring. So at that point it was just a novelty and it was something to do. And I think after that, if I wasn't playing a game and like playing was obviously my, my priority at that point, um, I would volunteer to referee after that. Yeah. And you said that your first game, you sort of asked the players to take it easy on you. Did you, it was a grand final. So did you sort of quickly get sucked into the heat or the pressure of the match? Um, I, I think you don't have time. <laughs> you're just kind of moving from one contest to another. You're trying to make that calls. You're trying to make sure that everybody is safe and everybody is playing by the rules and that the rules are being enforced. Um, and it went by really quick. It's grand final. It's intense. Uh, there's hard hits going in. There's goals being scored. You're, and again, because it's your first time doing it, you're you're trying to remember, right? What do I do when this happens? And what do I do when that happens? And what's the procedure here? And and you're just trying to. At that point, I was just trying to just trying to survive, I suppose, and um, just trying to get get through the game and make sure everybody was relatively happy with the result and that all the big calls would be made. I probably missed a hundred smaller calls 
in that first game. But yeah, hopefully I caught all the big ones. When was that transition stage then from when you sort of finished playing footy to, to taking umpiring more seriously? Um, well, in 2010, when we were at Denmark and Sweden, Shane Hill um, ran a, an umpiring course in Denmark. So anybody who was um, who wanted to could attend. And our coach made the entire team attend. So we it was part of, <laughs> there was the Irish team in the room. And then there was a sprinkling of other people from other countries that had come. But um, yeah, so that was the first training session. I just want to acknowledge that Shane Hill was the, the head umpire in Europe for a long time. He did a lot of very good work yeah. to establish the AFL Europe umpiring community. And he should be acknowledged that he did a really good job. So I did that um, first course with him. And then after that, I, I think I did the Euro Cup in Belfast in 2010, I think, or 11. 2011, 2011. yeah. Yeah, 2011. Um, again, it was the first international comp- competition I'd umpired, and I was still learning at that point and trying to put into practice the stuff that, that Shane had been teaching us. So um, because I had been in Australia that summer with the international team, I wasn't eligible to play on the Euro Cup team. It was an internal policy. Um, so I said I'd go up and umpire. So I went up to Belfast, and I was umpiring there. So that was the first big competition that I umpired in. Um, did a few games and, and uh, enjoyed it. And then after that, you know, your playing career starts going down. My umpiring career starts going up. So you start, you know, playing less games and umpiring more games as you, um, you know, your your priorities, your shift and your change, you move on to different challenges. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I did numerous training with Shane on different uh, Zoom calls or WebEx calls. Um, learned how to be an umpire and then just started, you know, when I wasn't, as I said, when I wasn't playing in Ireland. Um, I would umpire and that kind of coincided with the demise of the demon. So I was uh, less likely to be making finals. So I was more likely to be, be umpiring finals. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Well, you've since umpired at the last three European championships. Um, like you said, you're at the Euro Cup in Belfast in 2011. Um, and I think you've done another five or six since then. Um, on Still going on an AFL Europe events. You've also umpired at the Fitzpatrick Cup. Um, and you've even applied internationally um, in, in the USA. So what was that experience like? And I suppose in comparison, applying in Europe to the US, was there uh, any sort of different rules or just like the different culture that might have might have changed your sort of umpiring experience? Yeah, so I went to the US Nationals in 2017 in, in San Diego. Um, I had been in Bordeaux the week before for the Euro Cup. So I was in Bordeaux on Saturday, Saturday, Sunday for the Euro Cup. And I came home. I actually refed a few Gaelic football matches. I refed a Gaelic football match the night before I left. And then I, I went to San Diego on Saturday morning. I think myself and Ian Kafka from London went over. And, and Niels from, from Munich went as well. Um, yeah, I went to the Nationals was in San Diego. Um, first thing for a pasty little Irish boy, San Diego is bloody warm. <laughs> it was like 30 degrees Celsius over there playing matches uh, from like 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, biggest difference is obviously because I had a direct comparison between Bordeaux and, and the Nationals. The Nationals was full 18 aside competition with five ovals running concurrently um, with um, five or six divisions, five divisions of men's football and three divisions of women's football. Awesome. There was a lot of football going on. There was football <laughs> on everywhere. Um, but it was, it was really enjoyable to be um, on a full-scale oval, to be referring full... 18 aside competitions, yeah. which we have little uh, opportunity to do that in Europe. So the ability to be able to, to ref those kind of games was really, really enjoyable. And 
there was really high level of football as well. I did a Division One game, um, one of the first games with Laurie Roop in the the opening game, um, and it was just just really high skill level, really high player level, um, and really good football. Yeah. Um, we also had a couple of first experience of running with an AFL umpire over there as well. So Chris Donlan from the AFL was there along with Hayden Kennedy and I got to run a match with him. Um, and just, it's just fascinating to be on the same pitch as a professional AFL umpire to, to watch the lines that these guys are running, the way that they talk to the players, their positioning on the pitches, obviously they're, they're professional and their fitness is unreal as well. And just, that they're, they're just so calm, cool, and collected that they can actually, no matter what's going on, that they can actually understand the game and know what to say to players to make them understand this is why you have given away this free. This is why I've penalized you. Um, and it was just just really good to be able to, to, to referee with somebody of that caliber. Do players recognize who they are and maybe limit or reduce their talking back to the umpires? <laughs> I think players... <laughs> players are fun in some instances they don't know who's who's umpiring them there's a, a really fun story from the 2019 european championships where matty stevich was uh refereeing one of the women's games i think it was was it ireland and gb that were, were playing yep and so obviously the the their the game ended and one of the british guards came over to discuss a decision that matt had made on the pitch uh, and she wasn't necessarily happy with the decision, but so she was arguing her point, and Matt was um, explaining why he had made the decision, and she just got exasperated by the whole thing and said, "Fine, listen, you'll pick it up as you go along." <laughs> says to a guy who's refed over 250 AFL games and five or six grand finals, "You'll pick it up as you go along." So she obviously didn't realize who was umpiring her, and um, Matt, to his to his credit, just kind of um, smiled and, and walked away. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll still be interested in coming back at the future European Championships, and he's uh, he's not been scared away from that. I hope he will. He was um, he's a good guy. Himself um, and Brett Rosenberry were there as well at that tournament too. Again, elite level AFL umpires making time on their lives to come and you know coach us as umpires um, and attend AFL Europe competitions. It's a, a real pleasure and we will welcome them to all our, our future tournaments. Yep, fantastic. Um, you mentioned sort of watching their lines as, you, as you're umpiring. Was there sort of more that you were able to learn from them sort of speaking to them after games or half times? So or what were some of, the, some of the biggest things you did learn from them? Yeah, it's the lines and positioning and, and reading the play. Um, I do remember Chris Donlan was showing me how to to set up a free kick and where I should be running just to be in the correct position to see where that free kick will land and to make sure that I'm not impeding another player, not getting in the way of another player. Like we've had t- training from Adam Davis, who was part of the AFL umpiring um, panel as well in 2013 in London. And he was, he was really, um, really good. We had some three or four dedicated sessions with him. And I do remember one, one unique drill that, kind of sticks what he was teaching us was we we were in a gym in london and we were he, w- he would make us do sprints up and down the gym and when you're finished the sprint he'd pull us over straight away after you finish your sprint bring us over to a laptop and play a piece of footage so you're you're catching your breath you're trying to get some air in and he's showing you stuff so, and you have to make a decision on what's happening on the screen like you know and what call should the umpire be making yeah. i think that's something like that was really good for um 
you know, real world uh, training because in a game, you're sprinting after the play, you're trying to catch your breath, you you might not have all the oxygen going to your brain that you need to make these decisions. So he was trying to simulate that real world, um, real world uh, conditions, I guess, yeah. to to be a better umpire. And it was something I'd, I'd heard of before, Marty Clark, who used to play for Collingwood, he's a, an Irish footballer, and he used to do something similar on, on the pitch as well when he's playing Gaelic football. He's in Gaelic football, you have like a free kick or a mark, say for you to have a free goal. But he used to do the same thing. He used to sprint over and back across the pitch and didn't take his free kick when he was practicing, you know, and he's practicing on his own. Because he used to rationalize that in a game, you're never going to be just relaxed and calm and have your breath and have your, your heart rate at a, a really calm level. So he used to get his heart rate up, get his breath going and didn't take the free kick again to try and simulate the, the match conditions. Quickly back onto your umpiring um, over the years, who have been some of your favorite players you think you've officiated or just even watched as an umpire, whether it's in Europe or in the US? Yeah, I, I, the, the person that, that stands out that I umpired was Edish Constein, who has been drafted and has won a, an AFLW Premiership medal. Um, before she was um, in the AFLW, she was playing a game in Ireland, um, the ladies game. Um, I went down to, to help out, make to just to umpire the game for him, just to, to help out. And I was umpiring this girl that was dominating the field. Obviously, she's a, a elite Gaelic footballer at this point as well, but she hadn't yet transitioned to being an elite Aussie rules footballer. But she just stood out head and shoulders above all opposition, not even just against the girls that she was playing. I figured that day she could have played against the best boys in the league and she would have ran rings around them. Just her skill level was immense. The ability to 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 run full tilt at a ball, pick it up, keep going and kick a goal. She's just um, an amazing player. Um, so she was the one to, as an umpire, that really stood out for me. And yeah, she just went, as we've seen her success, she's gone on to, to do great things over with Adelaide, with the Adelaide Crows. Um, as a player, the person I play with, I think that stands out has to be Mike Finn from, um, he's a carry man, fellow carry man. Um, he plays um, in in uh, Melbourne, plays for Heidelberg FC in, in Melbourne, and he's played on was he four or five international cups at this stage? He's done four in here. Jeez. Um, he do five, but he's been player of the tournament in three of them, and he no, he's been player of the tournament in one of them, and he's been on the um, you know the team of the tournament. I think in every one that he's gone to, like he is just a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal player, very very nice person as well. Um, but he's a kind of guy that um, if he'd stayed in Ireland, he would, have, he would have made my local football team much better carry GA football. I'd imagine he would have won plenty of All-Irelands with Kerry if he had stayed, stayed in the country. But we were delighted to have him in Aussie Rules and helped us win the 2011 International Cup as well. I think he actually kicked the final goal in that International Cup. It was, we had... The game was over. The final whistle had blown. Everybody was running onto the pitch, congratula congratulating everyone. But he had taken a mark just before the siren. <laughs> so he was being swallowed up by all of us. And then he, um, the umpire was there going, no, no, he still has a kick of goal. He still has a kick of goal. He's only like 40 meters out. So he um, he untangles himself from all his, his comrades, lines up the kick and kicks another goal in the grand final on oh, the MCG. Awesome. So he's, no, Mick was the definitely one of the best players i ever played with yeah fantastic um yeah i'm cautious of time so um we'll wrap this up soon john um i suppose 
the last years sort of taught us not to look too far into the future or plan too far into the future at the moment. But have you thought about what the, your next few years as an umpire might entail? Um, have you sort of thought about, is there an opportunity to umpire at an international cup potentially? Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the things, I suppose it's one of the things that's left to do to check off. I've done all the tournaments in Europe. Um, I've done the US nationals. So, uh, there was talk of going to the Asia Cup at one point to just to check off that one, but I think that was more of a pipe dream or maybe trying to escape two small children. Um, <laughs> but listen, the International Cup, um, I, it's something I'd, I'd like to do. I don't know if I'll, I'll ever get to do it or not. Um, as I'm getting older, I'm not sure I'll be, I'd have the fitness levels required for an International Cup anymore. Um, but um, listen, one can hope, one can dream that maybe maybe the world will go back to normal. We'll be able to travel again and, and see a bit of the world um, and maybe get to the IC. Uh, failing that, I definitely want to go back to the US Nationals again and do that tournament again at some point in the future. Um, and then, of course, obviously our local European tournaments. Hopefully I'll, I'll make one or two of those as well. Yeah, yeah, great. And just lastly for me, you recently attended um, AFO Europe's Empire Development Series. So I was just going to ask you, I suppose, you've uh, been an umpire across AFO Europe for a long time now how have you found the level of umpiring across europe um compared internationally and also i suppose the growth of it as well yeah listen at the, we, we recently completed the umpire development series it was a uh, four four evenings of training um and the thing that really stood out to me was the quality and the quantity of the quality of the training run by cat and her team and the amount of people that attended it we had 130 140 participants on those training sessions which thinking back just a couple of years ago, we were struggling to get 20 people on a call to, to run a training session. So to have 140 people together with one aim of being umpires, it's, it's amazing and it bodes well for the future. I hope that in the future at European championships and competitions that we're going to be turning away umpires because we'll have too many and we're going to have to have, you know, selections and, and pick the best of the best to, to be umpires or to, to attend these umpire or these competitions. Yeah. Uh, there was the first Champions League uh, that was held uh, however many years ago now, four or five years ago. We had six umpires at that tournament for 30 or 40 or 50 games or something like that. So where you needed like triple and four times that amount, the guys did a great, I wasn't there myself. The guys did a great job to, to actually run it, but just go to show we were struggling for umpires back then. To, to go to the Champions League. And if we have 140 new umpires after the transition we've done, hopefully in the future, we will have, we won't have that problem again. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, there's no doubt that you've played a part in that, that growth and development of the umpires over the past few years as an experienced umpire yourself, but to also the growth of footy in general in Europe as a player as well. Um, so I suppose, thank you for, for being involved or heavily involved as you have, and just for loving it, enjoying it and just sharing your passion, passion for footy across Europe and across the world. And, yeah, it's been absolutely awesome to chat to you and just share your story. Thank you very much, Jackson. Yeah, it's been loads of fun and hopefully we'll we'll get back to playing football again and we'll all meet up on, on the pitch and in the pub in the near future. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of the AFO Europe podcast. If you enjoyed our chat with John or the One Kick Later series as a whole, feel free to give this episode a rating and a review on the platform you're listening through and hopefully we'll see you in episode 20. See ya.